Haley, you have uh, you have some stuff prepared for us today, and uh, I hope I get to like tag along as well and say some interesting things along the way. But uh, do you want to like uh, get us started? What are we? Ta- what are the broad brushstrokes for what we're going to talk about for today's conversation? Yeah. So um, lately, I have been in a lot of conversations in different spheres of my life that have all been getting at the same theme: being tired. And it's yeah. more than tired. Oh, yeah. <laughs> The sense that things are overwhelming or it's just one thing after the next, after the next. There's this weight of still being in the pandemic and having pressure to continue business as usual. Mm-hmm. The day-to-day... You can't let on that you're tired. No. Yeah. Of course not. Just keep going. There's the normal day-to-day stressors and bigger picture worries, personal tragedies, and collective trauma. Mm. To say the least, it's been a lot. Yes. And the range of answers that we get in how to remedy exhaustion or stress is all over the map. We have self-help wellness culture that wants to offer solutions to every pain and problem, a capitalist system that wants to continue the drive toward greater production, the religious tendency to over-spiritualize suffering, equating greater faith with less worry. And none of this is new, but it has felt like a deeper level of exhaustion and frustration lately. So I was curious to see if there was language out there that would be helpful in understanding the unique stress setting that we're in right now. And what I learned was that basically we have unlocked a new type of burnout because of the pandemic. A new type of burnout. A new type of burnout. So like this is burnout 2.0. Yeah. Cool. Um, so one author, <laughs> yeah, um, one author is an executive wellness coach that I read an article from, and she explained that the solution to burnout is typically more engagement. That when you are actively engaged with your work, you have a deeper sense of purpose and are less likely to feel burnt out. But the pandemic has actually driven um, engagement and well-being apart from one another Mm -hmm. because we're not engaging from a sense of trying to find greater purpose. It's engagement that is rooted in fear or necessity. Um, So this has led to more burnout instead of rescuing us from it. And the other... um, the other article that actually really got me, the title of it is um, By Now Burnout is a Given, hmm. which again, super encouraging. Um, <laughs> That's great. Burnout's <laughs> a given. And the author here explains that in 2019, burnout was not a medical condition and it was referred to specifically um, related to work stress. Okay. But now there's this drive to redefine burnout as um, the mental and physical fallout from accumulated stress in any sphere of life, whether that's work, parenting, caregiving, academics, managing illness. So all of this pre-pandemic hustle culture and toxic stress came to a boil in the pandemic. Yeah. And there's actually been a quadrupling of reports of symptoms of mental illness. Um, And this author also, um, she's a doctor, and she stresses that usually the mental toll after a collective trauma is when things really get heightened. So we actually like don't know. We haven't know. hit it yet. Yeah, yeah. we don't know what's yeah. to come. Wow. I'm going to move this way. Yeah. Because I feel like I'm... You're, you're painting a very a grim moment. picture, Haley. I'm hoping there's a but Yeah, coming. so I was going to yeah. say, um, <laughs> if we end things here, that's super discouraging. <laughs> Good luck out there. Have fun. Um, but for our conversation today... I wanted to offer some tools and images of Jesus that are helpful for navigating the season and that don't actually push us into a deeper productivity and prosperity narrative, that there has to be a sustaining hope and a clearer picture of what wellness can look like 
even in a worn down reality. And keeping with the alliteration, there's going to be this move from productivity and prosperity into a greater sense of presence. I see what you did there. Yeah. The, all, all of those words start with P. I'm, I'm tracking. That's great. I just need to get comfy. Yeah, so. yeah. Do you want to raise that up a little bit? Yeah, do, do, the one, do the one down at the... Yeah, that one. That one. Yep, do that one. That's good. That's good. So from pro- productivity and prosperity to presence is where you're wanting to, where you're wanting to encourage us to think about today. So much better. <laughs> um, yeah, and so maybe we should start with productivity. Okay, yes, Does let's do it. Oh, yeah, let's take them one at a time. So what do you mean by productivity? So in thinking about this, I actually hadn't realized before how far back this productivity narrative goes in my own life. Okay. Um, I am someone who had always prided myself on being super busy, um, that this was labeled as a really good thing growing up that I was a good student and had a lot of extracurricular activities and church involvement and then getting into high school, add in um, managing some chronic pain and working um, and then into college, working more. Um, the like academic grind culture of like glorifying all-nighters yeah, and yeah. being- Oh man, I've done that before. Yeah, yeah I was all-nighter and, and moment you hear somebody else talk about it, you have to you know talk about your war stories oh, yeah. and all-nighters and yeah. yeah. Yeah, you like brew a pot of coffee at 11 p.m. and are just in it for the long haul. Yep, yep. Um, and so there's this kind of glorification of productivity from the get-go. And I don't know if you saw that aside from that academic setting, if you saw that too, um, in its beginning stages early on in life for you? Definitely. I think I, I remember it um, even in high school, I want to say. Yeah, uh, the, like a, in, in the academic world, in school, there's always this sense of like, oh, yeah, you have to. Um, I've been working so hard. And, and it's funny, like I think we were just sort of like playing out what we probably saw our parents do mm-hmm. uh, with uh, I've been working so hard, you know. Uh, and then now that turns us into adults that are then I'm working so hard, um, const- you know, like, like you said, like the, the word that comes to mind anytime I ask anybody how are they doing, it's tired. Yeah. And, you know, I'm working so hard, I'm busy. And so, yeah, absolutely, I see it everywhere. Yeah. And, um, as I was thinking back on this in high school, I came across this book of poetry. I think I got it at like a church fair or something. I don't even know. This book of poetry came out of nowhere. I could not tell you who wrote it, but I came across this poem and there's a line in it that says, um, it takes a brave person to leave spaces empty. And that like wrecked my 15 year old self. Okay, yeah. Because I realized there was no empty Mm. space. There was no wiggle room. Mm. And it started this ongoing question that I come back to in a lot of different seasons of life. Um, that's, am I leaving any empty space right now? Yeah. I, I was thinking about a conversation I had with somebody just this week. And I've, I feel like I, I have this conversation once a year and I've still not learned the lesson from it. But it's like, uh, it's really hard for me to look at, uh, I keep a calendar in like Google Calendar and see space that's not there. If somebody asks me, can you do this thing on Thursday night and it's like empty space, it's really hard for me to say mm-hmm. no if, you know, like if, there are, uh, if there's nothing there. But maybe the rest of my nights that week are actually booked and that space is actually, I really need it to recover and not do anything, but I still can't help but say like, it, it feels like I'm lying if I say no, I'm not free because technically there's not something in my calendar. I don't put Vince, you know, getting to do nothing and just, you know, sip some bourbon that night. I, I, I didn't put that in the calendar, you know? And 
I think that that's part of this like productivity. That I, I need to be I need to be available. I need to be on. I need to you know it's it's somehow dishonest mm -hmm. if I if I say no. I need that time for myself. And I think the pandemic too has created even less boundaries around that because everything's at home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And this idea of empty space, it goes beyond just a schedule and a work ethic too. Um, I have started to notice more so that a lot of faith is really productivity focused mm. as well, mm. that it's so answers and outcome driven, push toward right belief, toward evangelizing, God needs to use me to do X, Y, Z. And I no longer support that language at all of yeah. God using people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, people using people is never a good thing. So mm. I don't know why a good God would use people yeah. too. Yeah. Um, but this actually is really helpful in kind of breaking down some of this productivity in a faith realm is that are we focused on being used in a certain setting or are we focused on being with God? Yeah. And that distinction has been really helpful for me. I, th I think, no, I, th I wonder if that one kind of settles in for anybody um, uh, here or listening, because I do think that generally in church settings, yeah, I hear, I hear language like God uses this person in a certain way, and that, and that being a story that we should applaud and be really happy with. Um, and pushing against that is really interesting. The idea that like, yeah, I wouldn't, if, if, if I was talking about a human being, like, oh, my boss is just using me. That, that's, that's the worst, right? Like, yeah. I, I don't want that to happen. So I really like that. And so what, how is that different? To peel, peel that, that onion apart a little bit more of God, uh, or, or talking about like um, God being with us rather than God using us. Um, that there's more relationship there. Yeah. Uh, it, it, that, that feel like there's more like me. Um, I, I don't, I don't feel like it's against my will. Like it, it's yeah. cooperation. To, uh, what, what else, what else is there? I like that. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, it helps you just be more fully with other people too, that there's not like an agenda for Ooh, yeah. why you're talking to certain people. Yes, yeah. Um, and the, the use stuff too, like it's just, it's so problematic and it comes up so frequently yeah. um, that I think it actually gets in the way when everything about your faith is outward showing. Yeah. It becomes this, is there, is there something concrete foundational here for me to lean on when I'm not doing those things because I don't have the energy to, I don't have the drive to, am I able to experience God just in a resting place? Yes. Because God using you implies that there's some sort of thing you have to get done. Sometimes yeah. I think you have to finish for God. Yeah. yeah. And that's productivity in a nutshell. That's right. Like that's there's right. always something, something to get done. Always yes. something to get done. Yeah. 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 Well, that, that's good. That's good. Now, that, that certainly feels like it captures a lot of my, uh, even beyond my spiritual life, but definitely that, that can creep in. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay, so um, is that is that feel like we're 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 good on productivity? Yeah, productivity. Uh, okay, what what about what do you mean by prosperity? Because that one, I I I feel like I, yes, I definitely uh, live in a swim in a world of productivity, but prosperity. Now, do you mean like prosperity gospel? Like, tell me tell me yeah. more why you're using that word. Yeah. So um, I think that prosperity is this underlying principle that guides some of the productivity obsession. That, like, yes, we're supposed to be busy, we're supposed to be getting things done, but it's to um, have a well-paying job and be able to provide. Like, yeah. that is the, the end goal there. And a desire for stability and provision is good, but it's more so the question of at what cost yeah. um, that prosperity has to be held in check and it can't be the end goal. Um, so this prosperity gospel, maybe that's a term that you've heard 
um, thrown around before. We've both listened to a recent episode of the podcast, The Bible for Normal People, that I would highly recommend. Um, and um, on this one, Kate Bowler comes in and talks about prosperity gospel more. And she is brilliant and wonderful. And she points out that it kind of gets characterized or oversimplified. Um, but typically, there's this core belief that equates God's blessing and favor with some type of provision, whether that's health-related or financial. So the basic principle is that if you do good things, good things will happen to you. And I think that we all have some type of that in our mind, yes. that we want to believe that God is good and that we want to look for that evidence of goodness that comes out in particular ways of provision. Yes. But I don't know if there's anything helpful there that you would add to kind of understand what prosperity gospel means. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense because uh, the prosperity is maybe something that, uh, like because I think prosperity gospel is sometimes like talked about in the news, like you would think it's like, oh no, that's something that's so far and distant from what I am or yeah. what I'm about or what I know. And um, even if I'm a person of faith, like, oh, no, I'm not about prosperity gospel. But I wonder if it's pretty subtle, prosperity gospel stuff. I yeah. wonder if it is more about, like, the entitlement that I feel as somebody who, like, I just, I feel entitled to not suffer. I feel entitled to not have problems. I feel entitled when I, when I do things that are generally wise or generally, like, um, like what would be recommended to me as somebody in this culture uh, that I should feel rewarded for yeah. that, that, thing, that things should go well for me. And that in its, in its own way is believing in prosperity. It's like hitching my wagon to the idea that if I do good things, good things will come my way. But that doesn't always happen. You know, like, the, the, uh, like something unexpected happens. There's an unexpected diagnosis, which has happened in my life three different times. There is a, you know, like, you do all the right things. I've experienced this as a, a relatively new homeowner lately. You do all the right things, and then something else breaks, and you have another massive bill on your hands. Um, and it's just like prosperity lets me down. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I feel like I can't help but believe it. Every time that I'm in a situation where it's like something goes wrong, I'm like, wait, but I've been doing it right. Why is something going wrong? This isn't fair, and mm -hmm. I cry out to the universe. Why is this? Or, you know, maybe if you're a believer in God, you wonder, like, if, if God is a God that, like, backs prosperity, you're like, God, why would you allow this? And I, th I think that torments people, right? Oh, absolutely. And her description um, in this podcast, too, is really helpful because it shows that there's, there's this desire to just want to be able to look back on life and connect God's presence through all the good things. Mm. Um, and in some way, shape, or form, I think that we try to do that because it makes us feel tethered and grounded yep. and yep. hopeful. Yep. And at the end of the day, if that's the only way that we're able to conceptualize God's presence, um, we're left feeling really empty when things go wrong. Yes. That I'm, it's about more of an exchange than it is a relationship. Yeah, I'm, I'm making a connection here to um, w one of the... One of the, the um, suggestions uh, from the scriptures, from uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, um, is like to give thanks always in all circumstances. And this one has always, um, I think it's always frustrated me because it's, it, it, it's, it's often talked about in ways that are like in real passing. And I, and, and I just feel like, wait, that's saying a lot. Like really, truly give thanks in all circumstances. And I wonder if what you're bringing us to 
um, illuminates that idea because if we only look back, you know, like, and, and with gratitude trace God's, um, like, presence in our life through the good things that happen, and we look back and we say, oh, all of those good things. Now, that's great. I think we should do that. But, um, but if, if that is all that we are uh, giving thanks for, so to speak, then there is this sense of, like, we will tie prosperity, things going well for us according to how society works with God. And then who's that going to work out for the best? The people for whom society goes well for, mm-hmm. the people who fall into the status quo when it comes to race or gender or you know, uh, class, right? Then, you know, those people can be thankful, but other people can't be thankful <laughs> because... Yeah. What, what about their prosperity? Well, they haven't seen prosperity. And so as a result, how can I be thankful? And so I think like this, this sort of illuminates the idea of like giving, giving thanks, being, uh, ex- expressing gratitude in all circumstances is like this idea of like fight prosperity's uh, hold over like uh, what grounds you. You know, mm-hmm. if, if, we, if, we're, if we're totally grounded by prosperity, we'll only ever be able to give thanks when things are going well. And we will not be able to find uh, redeeming value in the presence of a friend when you're, you know, dealing with a diagnosis or the, 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 the connection that you have with another human being when you realize both of you have experienced something awful mm-hmm. and, but I can, we can be there for each other. It, it just kind of subverts that idea that God is found in the string of good things in my life. Yeah. Um, and what came up for me too with this um, and with what you're saying right now is this difference between um, scarcity and abundance yeah. that comes up really yes. a lot too. Yeah. And I think it's really hard for people with more privilege and power to understand this. Um, and this is totally driven by productivity and prosperity. This belief in a scarcity mindset says there will never be enough. There's not enough, yes. not enough um, money, not enough faith, not enough trust in God. And we're left scrambling to kind of make up for that feeling. Yeah. Um, but instead, if we're coming from a place of abundance, it's trusting that there is enough, that we are enough, um, that it's a deeper gratitude than only skimming the surface of following the good things. Yes. Um, that there is this, uh, greater sense of peace when we're able to fully trust, not just in ourselves, but also in a God who is good and loving. Yeah. And they've done studies on this too. There's certain cultures that are more drawn naturally to a sense of abundance. Um, and there's a lot more happiness and satisfaction found in that too. We are drawn in capitalism towards scarcity. Mindsets. Oh yeah. It's like there's, there's only enough, uh, to go around. There isn't an unlimited supply of anything cause it's the resource game, right? Yeah. Yeah. I want to, um, I just think really connecting with what you've just said is a comment from the, the chat this morning. Uh, Mike, I wonder if you can put Beth's uh, comment up here. She, she wrote, in a capitalistic society, it's very easy to equate wealth with wisdom. Mm-hmm. So like whenever we're talking about wise, being wise, it always means, you know, it accumulated wealth for you or it was financially wise. And we don't talk about wisdom in any other way. Wisdom has nothing to do with any other values except financial values. And I just think that feels so true. That is so tied to this, like, because there's not enough to go around. And so if you're being wise, you are making sure that you're financially stable because there's not enough to go around, you know? And I just, that just feels so true. And I wanted to highlight that because I think it's a great comment. Yeah. And I think a lot of following Jesus isn't actually like, it doesn't look like wisdom a lot of the time. Oh, that's good. Yes. Yeah. Um, What what is Paul's in first Corinthians? It's a 
God's wisdom is foolishness to people, and yeah. uh, God's foolishness is wisdom. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it turns things in a reverse. And something that um, there are two things that Kate mentions in this episode. And the first is that Jesus failed to prosper. Ooh. Which was just oh, like, oh, what a wow! Oh, I love she it. She said so it like briefly, and it was just like, wait, what? Like yeah. Jesus didn't prosper. He was a homeless first-century Jew. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. And the other yeah. one is that in her experience, and this gets at some of the suffering that you were talking about as well. That having less, she was able to find more. She deals with a really difficult diagnosis, and it was in the seriousness of disease that she actually felt the presence of God hmm. more. Mm-hmm. And so it's that flip again. Like yep. that doesn't follow conventional wisdom or what productivity and prosperity tell us. Yep. And yet there's this overwhelming, like deeper sense of God's presence. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. That's really good. So, okay, w- let's move to what we what we want to move toward. We've, we've uh, effectively deconstructed productivity <laughs> and uh, prosperity. So what does it mean to move into presence? Yeah, and we're going to solve make, it all. We're going to solve it all, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so this, this greater emphasis on presence, I think, takes us away from the really fast-paced, frantic productivity, prosperity pull. Um, that it, it helps us be present for ourselves, to show up for ourselves, to show up for others, how we remain aware of the presence of God. Um, and I immediately think of this passage at the end of Matthew 11 that we go to often yep. that says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And it's interesting because Jesus here directly uses labor-related language Mm. of a yoke, this beam contraption that connects animals like oxen to be able to pull a heavy load. To get things done. Yeah, to plow (laughs) the land. And that does not sound restful in any way. And yet Jesus does that like sneaky reversing of things to use this image and say that actually... With Jesus, the yoke is easy and the burden is light. Mm. And the goal here is not production, but peace. Mm. Mm. That there's rest for your souls and an awareness of the presence of Jesus. Mm. That there's gift, a gift in presence um, that comes with leaving breathing room for not knowing, not being able to fix things, drawing near to community and relationship. And we learn to not need to have answers for others suffering, but to just be able to show up anyways. Mm. I think of, I think the way that this feels most, um, the, well, there's two ways that this feels really like grabbing me. One is as I think about a community, like um, uh, a, a, our, our church, for example, and then the other ways in sort of like how I think about believing in God. But like for, on the community piece, if come to me all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest is like, that's the... That's the upshot. That's what we need to, to move toward. What that speaks to me is that we are doing community right when we are not playing the game of like of of of, of continuing the cycles of productivity and prosperity. When we are making sure that what what is it that we're doing when we come together as a spiritual community, we are breaking those cycles. We are trying to subvert them. We are recognizing how powerful they are all over our life all the time. And we're trying to say, when we come together here, we're going to slow down the productivity train. We're going to slow down the prosperity train. And we're just going to try to live in presence for a little bit. 
And I like taking that as like a challenge for like, why do we exist? Why do we exist as a church, Brownline Church? Why do we try to do Sunday services and have conversations and get people having prayerful experiences or singing together? Why do we get people connecting in small groups? Why do we do any of the things we do? We do it to try to uh, interrupt productivity and prosperity and try to just slow down and be in presence. And I just, so that, that really stands out to me. The other thing that really stands out to me is just like how I'm thinking about God for any of us individually, not as, as a community, but just how do we even imagine God in our lives? And what you seem to be driving us toward is away from a God that's very like deterministic, like determining the outcomes of things or determining the future of how things will play out or de- like uh, all, all of the, like having a tinkering hand in all things that happen. And this is a much more as we were talking about before, like kind of cooperative, like Mm -hmm. God is not using me for some predetermined end. God is with me and we are together cooperating relationally to take care of what is before me, maybe to take the next step. I don't know what that is, you know? And, and this just feels, it, it, it just feels like it's a lot more, um, it feels a lot more true to like what I'm hoping faith will be like um, and and a lot of the pictures of maybe that like might drive people away from faith or make people hold God like at at arm's length is this idea that like you know like uh, but you know God is uh, if, God, if God is so deterministic why did this bad thing happen to me I can't talk to that God right now or if God is so deterministic why um, you know like why don't I know what to do with my life right yeah. And uh, and I and that just racks me with with guilt, or it racks me with with uh, I just feel obsessed by the question. But if God is not deterministic, this just draws me into something like, well, well, that I'm I'm interested in pursuing, that I'm interested in going towards. So I just think this doesn't necessarily answer anything. It does leave a lot of things open and unsettled. Um, the thing that a determined world has going for it is that it's all settled and taken care of, right? Um, this is kind of open and uncertain. But it feels like the, it feels more like the if, the, if I do have a relationship with God, if God does exist, this is the kind of God that I want to be interacting with, not a God where it, everything is predetermined. And I'm like, why is it predetermined the way it is? Because I haven't, I, I don't know if you've noticed God, but I'm exhausted all the time and things kind of suck all the time. Yeah. Um, I, I, this takes me out of that. And I love that. Yeah. And it's counterintuitive to to think that not knowing could be more restful. Yes. More yes. that that would lead to a greater sense of an awareness of the presence of God. Yes. But that's exactly what it can do. Um, and so I think like leaving this, this empty space, this wiggle room is really key in being present. And even just like we've mentioned it a few times, but um, I want to land in this place of just stressing the importance of rest mm. in all of this mm. because we can't. We can't show up unless we are restful. Mm. We can, but it's really, really hard. And all it does is contribute to that sense of burnout. And God isn't just a God that like encourages that from afar. Jesus models mm-hmm. rest mm. for us too. There's this beautiful image of Jesus that comes from the book of Mark. And in this passage, Jesus is in a boat with the disciples and there's a big storm and the boat is swamped and the disciples are overwhelmed. And Jesus is actually in the back of the boat sleeping. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And the typical focus here is that there's a lack of faith on the part of the disciples because they wake him up in a panic, which 
isn't fair at all. No, I mean, I would be panicked. <laughs> I would be panicked. Um, and in this frenzy, Jesus says, be still and calms the storm. Mm-hmm. And I think the key point I want to point us to today is that Jesus actually chooses to rest mm-hmm even though there's chaos, that he goes to sleep. And it's not just like accidentally falling asleep because he was so wiped from teaching all the time. He finds a quiet space and Mm. sets out a cushion as a Mm. pillow and rests. Mm. Um, And so when Jesus models actually centering rest, I think instead of our current reality of like needing to squeeze rest into whatever else we're already doing, um, but putting rest at the center to it helps us to start to notice when we are being driven toward production instead of being driven toward being well. Yeah, I, that just feels really um, challenging to me because I am the type of person that rests after I've taken care of all of the things. Yeah. And so I've done all of the productivity and then I reward myself with rest. And that is, that, that's not like what we see in that passage from Jesus. Like that, I, I just like the way you phrase that of, what is centering rest? Centering rest is choosing to rest even when there is chaos. Mm-hmm. And it actually, like the, like you said, it's kind of the paradox of like to rest even with uncertainty, that, that's required. You know, it's, it's not like we get an alternative reality that we can live in where everything is certain and, we, and, then, and then we get to rest after the fact. Like so often it's just like things keep coming and I can't compute do I just keep going? Do I just keep producing? Do I just keep trying to tick off all the to-do lists and then I rest? If that's how I operate, I'm not going to rest enough because that's putting rest as an afterthought, not centering rest. And that's super challenging to me. It is. And I mean, that's one of the biggest lies I think productivity tells us is that we have to earn our rest. Mm -hmm. Um, But we need and are deserving of rest just as we are. Um, that 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 absolute exhaustion right now, or if you felt it in a different season of life, that like that is not mm-hmm. a fluke. It's mm-hmm. just a result of being human, mm-hmm. um, and that we don't need to actually be in this place of like pushing through and absolute suffering to finally collapse and need to take care of ourselves. Yeah. Um, but if we're living into a a reality that's centered around presence and not around productivity. It sets the stage so much so much better for how to actively rest and how to be present even in the midst of suffering. Yeah. Um, I'd be curious to hear if you have a response. I, I think I have one m- more question, um, and uh, but something coming to mind for me, so I'll share, and then, and then I want to hear what you would say is, uh, we have, as we, as we started by saying, the, the culture that we all swim in um, it does, does not reward uh, what we're talking about, presence. It rewards productivity and prosperity. So how can any given person say we're feeling like compelled by what we're all talking about here? How can we best put ourselves in position to center rest? Um, I have one thought, and then I'm curious what you think. Um, my one thought is uh, community, I think. is, the, And when I mean community, like, the 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 strictest sense of community an inner circle of people so like how many people in your life do like know pretty much everything that's going on with you maybe like at i think at the most for a healthy person it's probably like three or four people it's not that not that much but that's what i mean by community that small inner circle of people um but for a lot of people i think it's zero or one 
And what I would encourage is getting that to three or four people. Getting your inner circle to three or four people is a really, really, really useful thing for what I think you're encouraging us toward today. Because if you don't have people you can turn to and express, like, you know, like give them a look and they understand, oh man, you need rest. You know, like we, you're, you're in that place of overwhelm. Uh, if you don't have enough people in your life that you can turn that to, you're constantly going to feel like you have to prove yourself. You're constantly going to be telling everybody and, you know, like, if you're like me, passive-aggressively signaling to everybody how exhausted you are, so stop asking me things. <laughs> and uh, and that, that doesn't go well for us. But if we have an inner circle, if it's not just one person or if it's not zero, obviously, if it's three or four people, we have enough of, like, a setting. If you call one person and they can't answer, you can call another person and they might be able to answer. And it just spreads out... Like, like it, it widens your base a little bit to be able to, in a moment of realizing, I have not centered rest, I need to recalibrate and get back to basics, you can do that. And so community in the strictest sense, that, that three or four people of inner circle is, is something I, I would recommend within our culture that doesn't reward this. Yeah. And I think I would say, um, I would challenge you to actually sit down and take the time to think through what feels really restful for you because it's not going to be the same for everybody. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's not realistic, even though there might be some desire to just like, man, if I could just take a break and have some time away from absolutely everything, then I'll come back and I'll feel re recharged and I'll be like, good to go until the takes but empty it, again. But it doesn't always play out that way. No, yeah, it yeah. doesn't. Yeah. Um, but I know that I am a better human, just a better mother and friend and um, able to show up so much more for myself and for other people when I am actively pursuing the things that feel restful in my day-to-day -day life. Yes. Um, so like I love that Elizabeth started before her prayer talking yes. about how wonderful and life-giving it was to like go grab lunch with a friend. Yes. But that felt really restful for her. Yes. Um, for me, having creative outlets and going for walks and making sure that I have time set aside that's empty and being social, like all of those things are typically things that help me feel more at rest, that rest isn't this like absence of everything, but it's an active pursuit of things that feel really, truly life-giving. That feels like such helpful advice. And I'm realizing even as you say that, rest for me is playing basketball which is weird because I'm tiring myself out, but that's actually restful because I'm removed from all of those demands that are always yelling at me and making me feel responsible. Basketball is just for me, right? Like it's, it, I, I, don't have to, I don't have to think about all those responsibilities and that's why it falls into the category of rest. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, active, actively thinking about what are the things that, that do give us rest. That's yeah. good, that's good. Um, well, I'm, I think one of our ideas for today was just to kind of like have a moment of, um, of some guided meditation prayer to kind of be in this space. Um, maybe it's, I don't know, like to, to we, we, we feel God in some way guiding us even as we do this, uh, you know, like, oh, here, here is active rest for you. Or maybe it's just to actually feel rest right now. That'd be cool. Yeah. Um, but would you pray with us, lead us in prayer? Would that be up yeah. for that? So as I'm praying, I would invite you to visualize a time or a setting um, that you have felt completely at rest, somewhere that feels really peaceful for you. So if you want, if this is, if it's helpful to close your eyes doing this, and if this practice doesn't feel like something that's life-giving right now, you can use this time to focus on your breathing and being still. 
but I would invite you to visualize this place that feels peaceful and restful. What does this look like? What does it feel like to be at rest? And allow this past feeling of peace to wash over you now. May you take in a moment of stillness as we quiet down. Feel that peace wash over your body. And Jesus, who sleeps, may you guide us into a deeper awareness of your presence. May we seek rest and community above seeking approval and production. God, would you help us hold a sustaining hope even in seasons of overwhelm and stress. May we learn to be present to one another instead of jumping to solutions. May we know that our relationship with you is not an exchange. And may we learn to be fully present with ourselves. Amen.